to settle. Begin to cultivate that sense of quietude and ease within the body, within the mind. tasting and savoring our capacity for calm abiding in the midst of all things. Feeling the body touch the ground. Bringing the mind to settle within the body.
So you might want to take just a minute or two for a stretch, and unless it's really essential, not going anywhere. So we come to an end. Um, I want to just start with a, a few thank yous. First to Louise, thank you so much for the yoga you've offered and the armchair yoga. It's been, I think, so much appreciated. And you have such a steady presence here on this retreat. And for Rachel and Tara, because we haven't met either of you before, it's been a delight to have you here. And thank you for what you brought, of course, to my co-teachers, Kinchino and Yuka. We've had a nice time together, which is great. <laughs> very, very little. <laughs> and, of course, really to all of you, because it really has been a lovely week, and it's been really lovely to be with you, and so appreciative of your sincerity and your commitment and your, your, everything you've brought to the small groups. and So thank you so much. So just a few uh, remarks about ending. Um, oh, one more thank you. They're not in here, but I'm so appreciative of the staff at IMS and everything that they do to support us and care for us. And they are such a dedicated group of people, you know, who truly have really a, a, a sense of service and, you know, a genuine sense of care. So I find that, you know, a lot of people talk to me about their practice, and I find many, many less people speak to me about their path. And I always find this very interesting. Um, in a when people speak to me about their practice, they're often speaking about what happens for them on a, in their formal meditation, and almost always in their sitting. Hardly anyone ever speaks to me about what's happening to them in their walking. It's very interesting, I find this. And, and I, I, I think there's something in worth kind of examining about this, maybe this difference between practice and path, and maybe it's just in my mind that, you know, people don't, you know, speak in that way. But uh, certainly, the Buddhist teaching was very much concerned with path, um, a path that has its beginnings in a certain amount of insight and awareness of, uh, you know, actually the challenges and the possibilities of this life. 
And it begins with that insight. And then the path is also a sense of development, and it has an aspiration um, to bring dukkha to an, and struggle to an end, and to really uh, realize the capacities we have for, for very profound understanding and wakefulness and compassion. But the path is something that is very inclusive. I mean, so, in, you know, when you look at the early teachings, you really see how deeply concerned the Buddha was with ethics. He was an ethicist in a very real way. He was really concerned with, uh, you know, the kind of footprint that we leave on the world. And in a way, the formal practice was really in, in the service of actually developing a, a, a life where our footprint is one of, of touching the world with whatever understanding we have, whatever compassion we can develop. And so the, the inclusivity of a path, of course, you know, really everything matters in that, you know. The relationships with those close to us, uh, the relationship we have with the people we don't know, the relationship we have with with the world around us, with all of its deep conflicts and injustices and and uh, suffering. So I think people, it's very easy to, to kind of overlook the fact that the Buddha was, you know, he certainly was a contemplative. He was deeply, understand, deeply committed to understanding the architecture of distress inwardly. He was also a social activist. He was very much concerned with the injustices in the, in the world around him that he lived in and everything that was born, the suffering that was born of those injustices. So he wasn't of a mind that says, you know, it really is all in here and there's no problem out there and I just need to be more accepting. Uh, he really wasn't into that mind at all. Um, you know, he really <laughs> did really recognize, yeah, there's difficulties in here, but wow, look out there, you know. Uh, there are, it's not just about how I feel about it. It is actually, uh, you know, real, real... Uh, division and alienation and struggle out there. So his his sense of a path was one that everything mattered, how we touch the world with our our speech and our choices and our actions, how generous we can be, how committed we can be and you know I, and how compassionate we can be. And I I feel, you know, we we're often really drawn to the images of compassion of you know, often expressed in some of the Kuan Yin statues we have here of a very receptive, you know, gentle, empathic presence. But we forget we don't have any images in this building of the Kuan Yin as an armed warrior. It wouldn't harm us to have a few of those, you know. Uh, you know, that, that as much as compassion is concerned with uh, really listening to the cries of the world, it's also concerned with ending the origins of suffering and struggle, um, in bringing, bringing hatred and greed and confusion to an end, inwardly and outwardly. So I often think it's really helpful sometimes to think in terms of path. And when we think in terms of path, it can look so big, you know, that we hardly even know where to start. And I personally have reflected in recent years about... You know, we've talked a lot about intention in, in this retreat. But in my own practice, in my own path, I find it really helpful to have more specificity around intention, 
around cultivation and development because I think, you know, the, the intention just to be mindful, I think it's got a really limited lifespan, you know, probably 10 minutes. <laughs> and then it's gone, you know. Uh, and I, I think there's something about a specificity of intention to, you know, because we've also spoken a lot about cultivation on this retreat. And I think for us to cultivate anything, we actually need to spend some time with it, you know. We actually need to have some sustained attention around it. You know, in, in my own life, I, I take uh, a, a, a sort of intention, which is really concerned with how I am in the world, uh, that I will develop for a year at a time. I will stay with it for a year at a time. I will remind myself in the morning when I wake up, you know. Uh, you know, as I mentioned the other day, that my intention actually that I stayed with for longer than a year is not to have any neutral people in my life anymore. And that has actually been quite actually awesome and uh, transformative, I find, you know, to actually really see the people who come in and out of my life with warmth and with kindness. But there's something about having a, a specificity of intention that we actually develop something, we grow something, we naturalize something. It can be, you know, almost anything, you know. I have a student who who said for a year she committed herself to wise speech. And she said it changed her life. You know? Her relationships got much better, she was more trusted. You know, she was very aware of where her speech came from over a period of time. You know, so it can be almost it can be almost any of the themes that we've actually touched upon in this retreat or from our reading. How do I actually stay with that for a time in my, in my actual life? And that specificity of intention, I think, also applies to practice. You know, again, I do have doubts sometimes about just sitting and watching. Um, you know, I, I do feel there is something about really cultivating. You know, cultivating, it might be that I commit myself to cultivating collectedness. You know, I, I often have personally a kind of meditative calendar, you know, where I would give like six months of the year to simply cultivating stillness and collectedness. Um, you know, I might give three months of a year to, to a little bit more investigative insight practice and you know, I might give months to one of the Brahma Viharas. And by the way, there are four Brahma Viharas. Uh, it's quite good to actually recognize that, you know. What is it like to cultivate joyfulness for three months? Oh, imagine that. Or equanimity. You know, gosh, we, we could probably benefit from that. Um, so I, I find the specificity of intention actually to be actually really helpful and supportive, you know, because we, we come to know things well, we come to know landscapes well. But I do feel that for any of us really to, to really, uh, please nobody have any ideas about maintaining a practice as you leave here. You know, I, I, we don't try and maintain a practice while we are here. We try to sustain and to renew and to recommit, you know. Um, you know, I think, you know, we have ideas about maintaining something. No, we're not going to maintain something. We're going to give life to something, you know. We're going to find the ways to give life to a meaningful exploration in our lives, you know. And this is something we begin again and we return to and we, we, we learn to, to, to value and, and to cherish and to delight in. 
But I think that all of us probably need, you know, appreciate the value of nourishment. I think for us really to walk a path has something to do with inspiration and meaning. You know, that this is something truly valuable in our lives and, and we, we, we feel inspired, um, you know, rather than sitting down rather grimly on a cushion and ticking the box of our daily practice. You know, where we actually feel inspired and learn to smile at our cushion or smile at our walking path, you know, and feel, ah, this is, this is an exploration of meaningfulness. You know, a return to that. And I think inspiration really rests upon nourishment. It rests upon how we nourish that inspiration. And there are so many ways to find nourishment. I mean, one of the great blessings of the technological age, of course, is to have access to things like Dharma Sage, you know, where we actually keep thinking, oh, yes, you know, I remember this is why I'm doing this. You know, we listen to a Dharma talk or, uh, you know, we have access to things like access to insight or Sutta Central, you know, where we, we can actually, you know... If, if anyone here has not read the Satipatthana Sutta, I, I highly recommend it. And, um, it. It's available, you know, we, we, we need to know what we're doing. And, um, so we have, uh, you know, we have access to Insight and Sutta Centro. Um, if you want a reasonable reading list, you could go to uh, the Bodhi College website. It's an organization that the three of us are, are involved with. Actually, we kind of set it up. <laughs> um, but there's there's a good website for reading a good reading list on the website. Um, we offer a lot of study practice uh, courses in Europe, and the good news is that in 2021, between BCBS and IMS, we're going to start offering again a kind of joint study practice investigation program here that will you know be more extended. Where do we find nourishment? Community. This is good friends. Uh, this is often really highly valuable. Sometimes we find nourishment actually in, in cultivating more spaces of stillness in our life. You know, whether it's in nature or whether we, if you live in the city, you know, you find a, you know, a little piece of green somewhere, you know, and and you know you, you, we learn to cultivate these pauses, these pauses uh, in our life, not just on a cushion, but I think in our day, I think for many people, their stress levels is a is a is a, an accumulation, isn't it? It's a it's a cumulative effect, you know, of really not attending to where we're getting kind of disembodied or dissociated. And of course, the wonderful thing about this path is, you know, in using having the body as an anchor is we don't have to try to have a body. You know, we got one, so we have that availability, that 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 access anchor point always available available to us. Cultivate, develop. You know, I do find the the Brahma Viharas incredibly valuable uh, vehicles. In moving through the world, you know, the, the our capacity to to really befriend, to be really touched by distress, to be really responsive, to really cultivate joyfulness, and you know these little moments of equanimity to stand in the middle of, and really be aware we're standing in the middle of, and and 
it's like in in some of the stories about compassion you know sometimes we we bend but aren't broken you know we can come back upright again so you know we we all have to find our way in this path we all have to find our ways to to navigate what works for us what doesn't work for us what interests us but to sustain this curiosity i think is is a great blessing this curiosity about learning curiosity about deepening and a curiosity about what we understand and what we don't understand um there's so much kind of self-teaching that's involved in this path that we engage in. It's enough for me at the moment. So like Christina, I'd like to thank you for your dedication, for showing up, for your patience. It while it seems that we have done most of the talking here, I, I would like you to, to know that uh, I find it deeply inspiring and in fact validating to see you showing up for this practice, showing up for this retreat and its many facets. Basically taking up something that I personally hold dear and making it yours, metabolizing it bringing your heart and your life to this and showing this. Yeah, I find that inspiring. Uh, I find that validating it is personally very rewarding to see this. And uh, it sustains and nurtures, nourishes my own practice. I, I would continue to meditate if you weren't here. It's not just something I, I do in public. But... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't want to hide the fact that it is uh, deeply rewarding to see that you make this yours, that you run with this, that you bring this into your lives. I also would like to thank you for your trust in, in personal sharings and in group sharings. They keep to be sources of learning and uh, profound inspiration and uh, connect, experience of connecting very deeply. So I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for our silent trainees here, yeah, you be on the watch out for them. They're smart, witty, and dedicated women, and uh, there's more to come from them. And keep, out, uh, keep, keep being on the lookout for them. They'll, they'll turn up, I'm sure. Um, I, my co-teachers uh, I'm very fond of. Uh, I appreciate Yuka and her friendship. I appreciate, uh, maybe more than I want to admit here, Christina. Who is grudging <laughs> <Regine> praise? <laughs> who has not just brought me here, but uh, who is a, a Kalyanamita in the true sense of the word, a noble friend. I'm also conscious this will be our last retreat here together. Um, I'll miss her. Uh, next week we're going to continue. Have to do things with each other over in Europe, but. Uh, I think this formation is probably not going to continue here. So I am there, coming back here next summer. You are, but without but me. Without you. <laughs> <laughs> we miss each other by a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is in the air for me, and um, 
I, yeah, I hold some of this with gratitude and with tenderness. And uh, often I feel a little avuncular towards the end of a retreat. I have a sort of wish of uh, making <coughs> sandwiches, for Dharma sandwiches for everyone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wondering <coughs> where you go with all this in your life. So I, like Christina, I'm kind of conscious that we need to grow up. Many of us come here because this doesn't feel like an organized religion. You know, and yet I think we can learn a few tricks from organized religions. Organized religions have understood where the difficulty lies. So the difficulty seems to lie in that we forget. Yeah? We get inspired, hold noble intentions, and then we meet everyday life. We forget. We get overwhelmed. So organized religion has come up with a few strategies. One of these strategies is uh, make friends. You know, do this thing together. You need people. Even if you don't like them, it's still better to see them doing what you're doing. Yeah? Uh, just to see a few other bodies meditating in the same room is a deeply normalizing experience. You know? Sort of the solipsistic position of me on my cushion against Mara and his universe you know, is a very lonely holdout. So just to see other human beings sharing one's aspirations and uh, showing up for their lives and uh, practicing and meeting their challenges is a deeply, deeply reassuring and normalizing and inspiring sight. Yeah? So do not underestimate that. You know, institutionalized religion has understood this. Temples, mosques, churches, you know, are places where people keep meeting and showing up for certain things. Organized religion has understood that you need to repeat things. It's not just you understand once and then everything is changed. Not even Buddhists who like the transformative understanding and in fact predicate their path on transformativeness of understanding, believe that it just is enough to have a few you know, glittering insights and then from then on it's all kind of lived wisdom manifesting in the world. You know, we have come to acknowledge we need a little bit of repetition in this. So do repeat. Repeat the things that help you. Repeat uh, what you have understood. One way I think of translating into the world, and remember bhavana in the big sense, I think we spoke of it early on in the retreat, doesn't just mean quietening my mind and gaining a few trenchant insights that hopefully relieve me of suffering. Bhavana means also connecting to the physical world that starts with our own bodies, what they need and what is good for them. And it connects with what this planet needs ultimately and the, the, you know, the fragile biosphere we inhabit and we take for granted. But in fact, um, we're doing a good job of threatening this right now in, in bigger ways than we've ever done. Um, it's not that we are particularly more violent than we ever were, but we're just many more of us, and our stupidity is now leveraged by technology. So we can do damage that is unprecedented. So we really need to get this not just into personal vocation, but actually get this into our political systems. Yeah? Otherwise, we are basically threatening we're threatened on this planet. You know. Nature will maybe not risk <laughs> hominids again. <laughs> you know, just too risky stuff. 
it, it may capitalize on better organized insects or so, <laughs> or, or more uh, resilient, um, <clears throat> you know, little furry things. So bhavana also means translating some of what we know about our minds and our relationship to this world into our lives. Yeah. There may be a day when we need to think of what Buddhism would look like as a political philosophy. Um, I don't think we can take much examples from Asia on that score. I, I've given up most Buddhist countries. You know, the realpolitik of Buddhist countries has not been very inspiring to me. I haven't given up on Bhutan yet. But, but most other Buddhist countries in the East don't seem to be really great examples of how to translate Buddhist values, to be frank with you. So we may have to start from scratch on this one. But there may be a point when we need to think of what, what I know about mind and heart and development and connectedness and my relationship to senses and the world, how that would translate into actually a civil society. Um, I'm not the person to do this. This is not my corner for shoveling, but I have a feeling it's coming and it is maybe high time. One of the things religion also have understood is um, that we need to do things with our bodies. That we, we ne It's not enough just to observe and look at things. Unfortunately, much of meditation teaching, much of wisdom teaching seems to use the ocular metaphor, you know, the metaphor of witnessing, observing, seeing, getting perspective. It uses the visual sense of the eye. Now, the eye always creates distance. The sense of seeing always makes me feel as I am opposed to something. Very different from the sense of hearing, which takes me right into something. So, unfortunately, very much down the line, we may end up translating some of mindfulness, some of meditative practices, basically as largely a practice that leaves us in a passive observant mode, yeah. which is a good thing for certain things like, you know, big flooding emotions. It's great to be able to observe rather than to engage. But most things actually need to be engaged with. Screaming little babies, they don't need to be observed. You know, they generally need to have other types of relationship when they scream. And likewise, much of what we need to grow through or grow out of in our own lives and our own hearts needs more engaged relationship rather than just being observed. So some things we can't heal by simply observing them. And um, it's important to find ways to engage in an attuned and sustainable way with those things in our lives. Not all of them are pleasant and uh, not all of them we have the tools, some of the tools we need to grow or we need to do, develop. Yeah. One way to do that is by learning from others. So the practice of noble friendship seems to be a very crucial piece. So what does a noble friend do? Well, a noble friend, let me give you one, a list. Uh, one of the things a noble friend does, he, he or she inspires love. Unabashed love, yeah, the word is love. This is a canonical list. I'm not making this up. Okay, I'm on safe, 
canonical ground here. So, love is something that the Buddha said is necessary for us to cultivate noble relationship. A noble friend inspires love, inspires respect, inspires my wish to emulate his or her example. Already very important pieces. A noble friend is somebody who is willing to listen deeply and is willing to help with counsel and advice. Here it strikes me the sequence seems important. Uh, Some people are quite willing to give advice before they have listened. This is probably not the ideal sequence. A noble friend is somebody who is interested in touching on deep subjects, on deep topics. And finally, a noble friend is somebody who looks out for me, who makes sure that I don't squander my resources, both in terms of attention, in terms of time, in terms of monetary and uh, other possessions. So it's somebody with whom I do not squander the things that are precious in my life. So contemplate not just who your noble friends are, but also contemplate to whom you are or you could be a noble friend. Don't just ask, where are they, all my noble friends? I'm so alone. Ask to whom you could be such a noble friend. This is a give and take. He doesn't or she doesn't have to be awakened, okay? This isn't just a teacher or a guru or an ideal. Uh, This is something you can be. You have to really think. You can be this. You can inspire love. You can inspire emulation. You can inspire respect. You are interested in deep topics. You are somebody who is capable of listening. You are somebody who is capable of giving counsel and advice. You are somebody who is capable of looking out after others and placing yourself in their shoes and making sure that they don't waste time or energy or attentional focus. Ponder this. This has been a great retreat. I want to thank you and end here. Be well. Yeah, I also want to thank you. Thank you. Just um, there is something about um, meeting you in interviews that is so beautiful. Just um, this gift of um, having someone sharing their experiences and opening themselves. I know no other place where I feel that there is such a deep meeting between people as in retreat. Because somehow when we are on retreat, maybe you have noticed we we become so open and sensitive and we dare to show each other, to show us. And it's just such a gift to um, witness that and to recognize something so beautiful in each one of you. So thank you for um, being willing to to uh, show yourself and to share your experiences. It, it's truly a gift for me, truly. And I also would like to thank my co-teachers and <laughs> the assistants. Um, I just receive so much. It's just you know, so much uh, friendship, uh, 
sharing, uh, wisdom, knowledge. They they have just such a profound um, reservoir of Dharma knowledge. It's just such a yeah privilege to learn from them and to be uh, together during this week. And me too, I feel this poignancy that, you know, this has been a very special constellation with both Christina and Akinchono that it's not going to be the same way again. So it's just the fact of the impermanence that things are going to change and there will be new uh, constellations, of course, but just this sense of appreciation. Um, one thing that um, also relates to that, you know, of receiving so much. This morning we spoke about the, the, the ox herding pictures in the Zen tradition. Akinchano mentioned something that I didn't actually know. Maybe you know the 10 ox herding pictures? Do you know the sequence from the Zen tradition? It's like a series describing the spiritual path. And Akinchano mentioned that uh, there was an image added later. So in the f first version, this um, theory, it showed the path of a practitioner from the state of complete uh, confusion all the way to awakening. And it ended there. And later, another image was added with the practitioner being in the marketplace. So uh, there was really this development that the practitioners started to realize awakening is not the end, but we have to go back to life and we have to find ways of how to manifest this understanding. And I think that's really such a big koan again and again, you know, this deep question of how can we manifest what we have understood or what we have maybe come in touch with in the stillness of a retreat, how do we manifest this in our lives? And it's not a simple answer. It's something that I consider a huge creative task to find ways of how will I do it? It's a very personal question. I cannot just look for, you know, some uh, guidelines how to manifest uh, wisdom in my daily life when I'm faced with a conflict or when my car breaks down or so. Then in this moment, I have to make judgments and I have to find my own wisdom in this situation or when I meet suffering or whatever. So um, the practice is not just, you know, developing, cultivating all these qualities, but then also starting to contemplate ways of how do I actually bring this into my life. And it doesn't mean that we all have to become uh, monks or nuns or mindfulness teachers or whatever. There are so many ways how we bring this understanding and the compassion and the care into life. For instance, in Japan, there was a abbot, I don't know which tradition, it wasn't Zen, he was called uh, Saichi, who then refused to be abbot, and he went uh, to his village and became a shoemaker. And so he was just working and uh, 
earning his money as a shoemaker, but he became very famous because people were drawn to him and he would listen to them and give advice based on his own practice. So he was living a, a very worldly life and yet he could bring in this understanding into these activities. So no matter what we're doing, you know, whether we are bus drivers or nurses or could be anything, we become the manifestation through how we live, how we act, how we respond to people. And sometimes I consider us in a way like activists, a little bit hidden activists of awakening. And nobody has to know, we don't have to carry a label, you know, I'm a Buddhist practitioner or so. It's the way how we live, how we smile, how we stand up for things, um, that we can become activists in a, in a subtle way. We don't have to become aggressive and, you know, impose it on other beings, but it's more just living it authentically from our own understanding. It will have an impact. People notice, people see how we live our lives, and this is what has an effect. The way we live, it touches other people, not what we say, not when we start to preach, but the way we make decisions. I, I realize it that people in my context say they know, oh, you, oh, yeah, she's always away on retreat, and so, and somehow they pick up something just from the fact that there is someone taking time for contemplation, taking time for Dharma study. Um, you don't have to always tell it, you know, explicitly, but just by being it, by living it, it does have an impact. So, I just wish you all safe journey if you are traveling home today. Thank you for your practice. May it flourish. And um, I don't know, maybe she's... Are you ready already, Tara? Or... Yeah, so we're not separate, and I can really feel that on retreat, and I really felt your practice, and it nourish, nourishes mine, so I really want to express my gratitude for that. And there's, there's a lot of dedicated practitioners in this room, people who have been coming to retreats for a long time, and also people who have been really on fire with the practice more recently, coming to the practice and have a few, one or two retreats under their belt. And um, really, I felt the wisdom and um, I've learned a lot from you and uh, just deeply grateful for that. And just a parting wish, you know, that just keep turning back to the Dharma because um, I, I feel deeply that's not something I've seen anyone regret. It's something that you won't regret. So um, thank you again so much for sharing your practice this week. So it's been a real honor to be with you in this way and to see your 
um, courage and heartfulness in our individual check-ins, um, see your deep devotion to practice. You know, the, the words that I often use when I'm giving meditation instructions include wholehearted awareness. And uh, I think that's, that's my wish for you, that you continue to develop this wholeheartedness around your dedication to clarity in the present moment and also your dedication to cultivating your own integrity and the beautiful qualities of the heart like generosity and kindness and that you continue to experience the fruits of the goodness of your own heart. So thank you for your practice. Okay, so we end with just a dedication. Just taking a moment again, just sensing that possibility of returning to some stillness. In a sense of sitting in the middle of this group of people in this room, in this building. And a sense of appreciation, sense of care. And there are many different stories in this room. And yet this collective shared wish for peace, for freedom, And whatever benefits are born of our practice, may they truly contribute to the well-being of ourselves, to the well-being of those who are dear to us. Whatever benefits are born of our practice in peace, in empathy, in compassion, may they really contribute to the welfare and the benefit those we love and those we struggle with and the many beings we don't know. May all beings, near and far, known and unknown, be safe and well. May all beings, near and far, known and unknown, be peaceful. May all beings, in far known and unknown, live with ease and with kindness. Wishing you safe travels, soft landings, taking care in the transition. Not everything needs to happen at once. The world has lived without us for seven days. Probably can go a wee bit longer.
Oh, yes, for those who are staying on, I think there's about 10 of you who are staying on for the next retreat. It's wonderful um, to have this time. You know, choose how you move through the day today. There's obviously, uh, you know, it's not silent anymore in the building until 5 o'clock. You choose if you wish to engage. Um, it, it's kind of amazing here. Often retreats, you know, after you know, after about one o'clock, it's like a ghost town for a few hours. You know, like this place that was so full suddenly empties out. Seems really quite quickly. Um, after they clean the meditation hall, of course, the meditation hall is is available and open. Um, they will put up the the center comes back to silence at five o'clock. And uh, the staff will put up some instructions on the board. They will continue to feed you. This is good news. <laughs> uh, they will put some instructions up on the board about, uh, you know, about breakfast and things of that nature. But, yeah, they, they, will, uh, they will put stuff up on the notice board about how to, how to be here and just in this transitional day or so. Thank you all. Well, enjoy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.